0: disclosure. I know Jason Botrel. I respect him. I believe in him, but I know him. Disclosure out of the way, he really should be a significant candidate in the continuing search for Ron Hextall's replacement. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into Football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Two Stanley Cup playoff games last night. Matthew Kachuk scored in overtime for the Panthers to beat the Bruins 4-3 to and stave off elimination. No team's been eliminated yet, by the way. And the Kraken beat the Avalanche 3-2. to to put the defending champs on the cusp with Seattle now leading that series three to two. Botrel is, of course, the assistant GM of the Kraken, answering directly to Ron Francis, the GM. And Ronnie's not available, so stop that right away. Okay. I, I felt that. No, Ronnie's not available. You're not going to go to Seattle and get him out of a contract and everything else here. Those guys together have done. Obviously, a pretty nice job. It was never going to be the expansion splash that George McPhee was able to engineer somewhat deviously, I might add, in Las Vegas by catching by surprise probably about three quarters of the league's executives with some of the moves he was able to produce or coerce out of them. But Ronnie was able to build instantly a fast team, a fun team, a skilled team, and one that was going to entertain the new ticket-buying fans at Climate Pledge Arena. That's always a mandate for an expansion GM. So all of that was achieved in their first year, but they've taken quite the leap since then. Um. I'm not going to predict here that Seattle's going to beat Colorado and knock them out, but I don't bet often against the teams that have the 3-2 series lead. And what's been more impressive, I think, is that the Kraken have done this without the services of Jared McCann, another old friend, because of the filthy hit by Cale McCarr a couple of games ago in that series. It's it's a decent team. It's not one that blows you away. It's not one that floors you with a bunch of names. And it's not one, again, where you look at the the Vegas setup and go, wow, how did all these GMs let go of guys like uh, Jonathan Huberdo and Alex Took and Marc-Andre Fleury and what was going on? That's not what Seattle was. GMs learned from it. They adjusted. So Ronnie had 10 times a harder job. And he hired Bottrell to come in and help him do it you will never know in any such setting who gets the credit for this who gets the credit for that Uh, executives will meet they'll talk things over with their assistants there's never full credit or full blame to give to anybody but he's there and it happened And as such, because of that, and because he has three years of general managing experience in Buffalo, which might be the worst place in the league to be a general manager, on that count alone, he should be one of the candidates. Now, add to that that Bottrell has quite the history here in Pittsburgh. Going all the way back to 2007, he was here for a very long time before leaving for Buffalo. In fact, he was one of those three hand-picked guys, you'll recall, who were in the room when Jim Rutherford became GM, and Rutherford was supposed to be grooming not one, not two, but all three of Bottrell, Bill Guerin, and Tom Fitzgerald. Well, Guerin and Fitzgerald have made themselves some pretty nice situations where they are, between the Wild and the Devils. Bottrell did not have a good go with the Sabres. Uh, He made a couple of moves in particular that I know he he himself wishes he had back that probably ended up costing him his job as much as the fact that the Sabres are the Sabres. But what I also know about Bottrell is that he is one of those guys who's kind of a prototype. Uh, He has the hockey background. He played in the league. Uh, He's got some of that old school in him, but he's also had extensive experience in dealing with the analytics. When he was in Buffalo, he was known to have adopted them again, not leading the way, but listening to people who were giving him data and information and scouting that was on a different level than just sending somebody to watch a kid. And the scout comes back and says, yeah, he's great or he stinks. Bottrell also has the background with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and he'd immediately, he'd immediately have their respect and their trust, which is not a small thing in an environment like Pittsburgh's, which remember is still going to be about those guys for the foreseeable future, at least for the next two, three years. He also has had time working with Mike Sullivan. Now, you can take that one of two ways, especially depending on how you feel about Sullivan. But if you want the head coach to have constant open communication with the GM and vice versa, so that you don't have a Mikhail Granlund thrust upon the head coach in the stretch drive where the coach is going, what do we get this guy for? What am I supposed to do with him? then it would probably be beneficial if those two already had experience and trust in each other. Look, I'm not going to say that this is the only candidate out there. I'm not going to say that this is the best candidate out there. I am saying that it is absolutely a candidate who should be considered and considered intensely. When we come back, J1Q. and, man, it's a good one. He asks, I recall, DK, on a daily shot of Penguins last summer that you mentioned that it might not have been coincidence that both John Marino and Mike Matheson were traded as they were two of the guys who blew games in the playoff series with the Rangers. Wouldn't Evan Rodriguez fit the same description given his penalty in Game 6? KJ, your memory is somewhat on, somewhat off, so let me clear that part up. First, Erod was actually the guy who was seen as the culprit by the coaching staff in particular in the Rangers series, and I'll get back to him in a second. Marino, if you'll recall, had a weird series. He had a spectacular game one. Remember that one? That was the overtime win in which, oh, what was it? Louis Domingue comes in and pork and beans or whatever all that stuff was and broccoli. And and Marino played like 100 minutes in that game and was outstanding. And Matheson also had his moments. But then Marino stunk after game one, just like fell off a cliff. And Matheson had, I used to have an exact count on this, but he must have had half a dozen goals go in off his feet. And you can say on the first couple that that's just lousy luck, but what ends up happening is it, it gets exposed, as if it wasn't already clear, that Matheson was no good at moving anybody from the front of the net. And as a result, he himself was in front of the net. And if he's in front of the net, his feet are in front of the net, and his feet function as obstacles. So all anybody has to do is flick a puck in that direction, and they've got a really good chance Of getting their own freebie tip for their own goal. And a lot of that happened to Matheson. A lot of it. But Erod was a different case. I don't believe that Marino and Matheson played their way out because of that series. I really don't. The things that Marino was doing wrong were things that ended up happening to him in New Jersey as well after he had this brilliant start for the Devils. Because as I just reminded everybody in Game 1 he was brilliant for the Penguins. The Devils didn't just flip some magical switch. Similarly, when Matheson had some big performances in Montreal this year and all the Habs fans are getting all, wow, how did the Penguins ever give this guy up? He had some of those in Pittsburgh, too. He just wasn't seen as a, as a great fit by the GM, and the GM had a thing for Jeff Petrie. He absolutely had a thing for Jeff Petrie. I don't know if he had one for Ty Smith as much as he just wanted to move Marino for cap space. But in the Montreal case, he wanted Petrie. You guys will remember that I reported from the NHL draft floor that Hextall was chasing Petrie and everyone laughed at me. Wow, you are the worst reporter ever. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. It makes no sense. Well, guess what? (laughs) It kind of happened, right? It still made no sense, but it happened. On the other hand, I found out from the inside, and this goes back to uh, this past fall, that Sullivan was exactly as incensed with Rodriguez as what you might remember having seen on your TV screen as Rodriguez was making his way back to the Penguins' bench out of the box. He took a retaliation penalty. And that that is is no-no number one in Sullivan's book, and that even applies to his stars. That's the one thing he tries to coach out of them. He sees that as the... The high point of team discipline. And he sees committing it as the low point of being a good teammate. And for Rodriguez, a not-so-important player to have done that in that spot, with the series on the line, with the Penguins having had a chance to clinch at home. Remember, this was at home, game six. Yeah. Uh, I heard that was the end. Now you never know how the uh, you never know how these things go. As I was saying in the first segment about Seattle, you never know who is responsible, who made the decision, who made the call, whatever else here. Uh, Hextall is ultimately the one that has to say, "Listen, we don't want Rodriguez back, even at a million dollars." Okay, but he's the one that has to make that call, and he did. And yes, I know why you're asking because. Erod had yet another goal last night for the Avs, and Erod continues to look like one hell of a hockey player for the price, doesn't he? I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins, and we're going to do another one of these tomorrow.